0: Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. Today we're going to continue in our core value series. Today we're going to con- uh, cover or talk about the core value of humility in weakness. Please join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll read. Verse, verses 18 through 25. When you're ready, say amen. 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 If you ain't there yet, then you better hustle up. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, We're going to title our time together, The Power of Almighty God. The Power of Almighty God. Let us pray. God, we come before you just as humbly as we know how, Lord. Um, we come in here with burdens. We come in here carrying physical tiredness. Come in here with, we come in here with stress, Lord, but we ask that you... Take those things away from us right now in this moment, Lord, so we may hear your word. Lord, I pray that Anthony Johnson decreases, Lord, and you increase in me, Lord, um, as the theme of this, this passage. Lord, in my weakness, show your almighty power. And we pray that in your name, and all God's people said, amen. We all recognize the need for power in our world. Without power, you can't switch the light switch on and have light appear out of nowhere. Without power, the turn of the key of your motor vehicle will produce nothing but a clicking sound. Without power, the sun cannot shoot its beams from millions and millions of miles away to heat up the earth. Without power, The moon's gravity cannot control the waves of the ocean. Without power, the rush of the water that goes through the dam cannot give electricity to the power grid. Without power, the tiny little devices that we hold in our hands that take up all of our time, let's be real in here, cannot turn on. Without power, the modem and satellites that connect the world via radio signals cannot work. Without power, the weak fall prey to the strong. Without power, widows taste the bitterness of neglect. Without power, the orphan remains hidden under the clutter of rush-rush world. Without power, certain people's histories can be erased under the guise of righteous le- legislation. There are societal issues that need power, but we got personal, powers, personal problems that needs power too, church. Without power, we can't fix our imperfections or the imperfections of the world. Saints, without power, we drown in a sea of doing wrong to others because you a sinner, and others doing wrong to us because they sinners too. This is the world that we need power in, and here's where we need the message of the cross that seems like weakness. In a world with a bunch of imperfections and we know the need for power, the message of the cross seems like weakness. And like the Corinthian church that Paul addresses, we wrestle with the seemingly powerless message of the cross. Yet, the apostle Paul had to to instruct them That because we need power in an imperfect world, God demonstrates true power. Because we need power in an imperfect world, God demonstrates true power. So how does God demonstrate true power? True power. Today, you're going to be surprised. I only got two points and not four. (laughs) So our first point will be, he demonstrates the powerlessness of religious wisdom in worldly wisdom. And number two, he demonstrates the power of the message of the cross. You with me so far, church? So let's hop into number one. He demonstrates the powerlessness of religious wisdom in worldly wisdom. As we dig into our text today, we're going to open up with verse 18, in which Paul quotes Isaiah 29, verse 14 to show that God wanted to demonstrate the powerlessness of religious wisdom and the powerlessness of worldly wisdom. In this passage in Isaiah, God tells his people that the way he's going to deliver them would destroy what they thought was wise and what they thought was intelligent and demonstrate the powerlessness of both religious wisdom and worldly wisdom. Here it is in verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discernment, the uh, discerning, I will That's a tongue twister. Amen. <laughs> I want to submit to you, church, in this Isaiah passage, the, wor- the word hakam, which is translate wise, points to religious wisdom. The word Hakam's comes, comes typical use points back to understanding how the things of God work and applying it to one's life. And Dr. Goldstein to correct me if I'm wrong one day. <laughs> and, and if you go back in the Isaiah passage, it talks about the people knowing enough religious things but missing God. So God had to come at them with deliverance in a different way. For this reason, he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise in the Isaiah passage, since we know Paul had religious wisdom in mind when he quotes the first part of Isaiah 29:14, we know that Paul wanted to demost- demonstrate the powerless of re- powerlessness of religious wisdom to the Corinthian church. Yet there's another thing wanted, that Paul wanted to expose as powerless church. It's the powerlessness of worldly wisdom. The next part of the Isaiah passage says he will thwart the discernment of the discerning. The word translated discernment uh, points to the wisdom of the world. We know this fact, the Hebrew word, I'm going to butcher it, but it's b'yin, and I may be saying it wrong, but you can check me out later. It's translated discernment. It has this connotation of gaining knowledge through the senses. So you you will look at the word You will look at the world with the senses and you gain understanding about it. This kind of accumulation of knowledge in the ancient world would be called philosophy or, here it is, wisdom. In modern terms, we will understand these things as philosophy and science. This ancient philosophy and science is what we would call the wisdom of the world. So Paul quotes Isaiah 29:14 to also demonstrate the powerlessness of the wisdom of the world. You with me, Saints? So in the next verse, Paul uses a rhetorical question. So a rhetorical question is: here's a quick quick answer. It's when you ask a question, and you already know what the answer answer is gonna be. Like when you get in trouble and they say, Didn't I tell you not to? You know the answer is. It's not, what is it? Yes, you did tell me not to, because you don't say no. I've never, I ain't never seen anybody say, anybody, does anybody have experience with saying no? You know, we got some good people with good sense in here, amen. <laughs> so he uses a rhetorical question to drive home the powerlessness of worldly wisdom and religious wisdom. He says, where is the one who is wise? where is the scribe, where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? We know he talks of the non-believing world because he references the wise and debater. The Greek word Sophia translated wise in in verse 20 has connection to that, that second Hebrew word we talked about, begin and I'm messing it up, but somebody will correct me later. The word translated debater also traces back to begin in Isaiah 29, 14. How do we know? What do debaters debate about? Philosophy and science. There you go. <laughs> and what do wise people what are wise people wise about? Philosophy and science. So Paul is pointing to worldly wisdom. Now, Paul also uses scribes in reference in reference to the religious leaders of the, the religious uh, wisdom of the day. Now, how do we know that? You remember in Matthew 2? You know that time when King Herod had a question about the location of the Messiah? Who did he call? Not the Ghostbusters. He didn't call the Ghostbusters. He, you know, he, he called the chief priests and the, y'all say it, scribes. So scribes were folks who knew, uh, knew religious wisdom. So Paul says, when he says, where are the scribes, he refers to religious wisdom. So the rhetorical question that he's saying is, hey, scribes, wise people, and debaters, y'all remember Bo- Boost Mobile? Y'all remember that slogan, what they used to say? Where, where you at? So he's saying, hey hey, scribes, hey, hey debaters, hey, uh, uh, what is it, wise people, where y'all at? And the, and the answer to that, record, that, that rhetorical question is, nowhere to be found because what God did and how he delivered his people was so powerful, they don't even got nothing to say. Man, I got a story about spades that I just had that just like, that hit on that. Man, I can't, I can't use it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? I'm not even going to use that story right there. It just, hey, it just hit me while I was up here, too. <laughs> That's why Paul comes in later on and he's in, that, in verse 21, it says, Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Now, saints, let's do a little, little bit of logic. Now, if, if God made the world's wisdom foolish, let me put something before you. If it's foolish, you can't know, you can't know God through foolish wisdom. Right, 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 right. So that's why Paul says it in verse 21. Here it is. For since the wisdom of God, for in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Now, Paul has just demonstrated to us that, that worldly wisdom is powerless and religious wisdom is powerless. This past August, I just bought a house. Well, I didn't buy a house. My wife, my wife, my wife helped too. <clears throat> she, Amen. Amen. That's right. That's why. Now, we bought this house in the middle of August. Now, living in St. Louis in August is hot and is muggy. And so, when the realtor told us that the people that were selling the house was including. The window AC units and we didn't have central air, woo! We, we, we was happy. We cleaned them mugs up, put them in the room upstairs, nice and cool, we ready to go. That's one room, two rooms. Then our main floor, you know what I'm saying, with the, with the stove in it and all of that. So when you turn the stove on, you don't even want to eat for real because it's just like it's gonna to be too hot. So yeah, it was like in August we 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 needed a, we had this big old AC unit and it was given to us. So we cleaned that mug up, put it in the window, turned it on, and warm air popped out. Now, now this is how desperate we was. We said, "All right, maybe it just need to warm up a little bit. If you gotta ask, wait on an air conditioner to warm up, it's already over with." <laughs> just saying. What looked like it was gonna solve our problems on paper didn't have power to solve. Our problems. So saying, that's what Paul is getting over, getting to the Corinthians. He's saying, Church, what, look, what looks good on paper, according to worldly wisdom and according to re- religious wisdom, is actually powerless to deliver deliver you from the problems of the world. So, Church, what powerless worldly wisdom are you holding on to this afternoon? Do we believe that we can deliver ourselves? Do we believe we can write our own narrative apart from the narrative of God, a la Disney? Do we believe the lie the marketplace tells us that we need underhanded tactics to eliminate our competition? Don't hear what a brother's not saying. Let us compete in the marketplace, you know what I'm saying? But let us do it with godliness. I mean, I love winning just as the other person, just as much as the other person, but I want to do that thing with godliness. Do we believe the only way that we gain respect is through violence? What powerless religious wisdom are we holding on to as hope for the world today? Do we believe the only marker for success in church is more butts in the seats, bigger buildings, bigger budgets, and bragging about baptisms? Do we believe that somehow focusing on social justice distracts from the gospel? Do we believe that preaching forgiveness of the sins somehow ignore societal concerns. Do we believe as Christians destroying those who we disagree with online with the guise of righteousness is really God's will? Here's a thought. Maybe we're not defenders of the faith in that instance. Maybe we're people that's causing the faith to be torn down. Now we know the powerlessness of religious and worldly wisdom. Now the question is, what kind of power makes religious wisdom and the wisdom of the world look powerless? And that brings us to our second point. He demonstrates the, the, the let me slow myself down. He demonstrates the power of the message of the cross. He demonstrates the power of the message of the cross. Paul tells us that the power of the message of the cross makes religious and worldly wisdom, look powerless. Here it is in verse 18. For the, world, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. The Greek word translated word here can also be translated as message. I think message fits as a better translation because it captures what Paul is teaching as a whole rather than a one-time event, um, but you can disagree with me. Um, but we're going to call it message for right now. The message of the cross could be summed up barring some of the words of an old song if we're going according to plan that I think we're going to sing later, which says, living, he loved us. Dying, he saved us and freed us forever. Then I'm adding this, he rose on the third day and one day he's coming back and it's going to be a glorious Day. That's the message of the cross right there. (laughs) Now, that message of the cross represented humiliation and weakness to both Jews and Greeks. It was nonsense to them. That's what that word that we see folly in there. That means nonsense. That's why Paul Paul says it plain. He said it looks like folly to the ones that are perishing. In verse 18. Here we go. The ones perishing. I'm gonna go on a limb. I know this is gonna be painfully obvious, but just stick with me. The ones perishing are the ones trusting religious wisdom and worldly wisdom over God. Here's why. If you believe in, in something other than Jesus, you probably you not probably you're gonna die. If you are headed toward death, that means that you are perishing. So the ones perishing means those that are trusted in worldly wisdom and religious wisdom over what God what, over God. Now, what this looked like for Jews or religious folks who leaned into religious wisdom, they wanted a powerful Messiah because they were under Roman oppression. If God was gonna deliver his people, it was gonna be through some powerful signs. Your deliverer ain't supposed to die if, you, if you're a Jewish person, right? You, they supposed to show up and it's gonna go up. Everybody getting taken out and we are finna be on, on top. Now, let me put it to you like this so you can understand the mind frame here. If you getting beat up, do you want Black Panther to show up, or do you want Steve Urkel to show up? (laughs) I'm just like, come on, sister. I I don't know about y'all, but but look, if I'm getting beat up, I'm not looking for. Did I do that? I need Wakanda forever, and this is about to go down. Amen. So that that's (laughs) all right. Y'all with me? Because I, I don't want us to think that we know better than, like, we, we better than, like, uh, the Jews in this passage. Because we think the same way. hmm Let some of y'all know that the bill is due and you ain't got no money. <laughs> you ain't going to be thinking about we need some like, Lord, I need a million dollars right now. Okay? All right. Now, so this is what Paul has in mind in verse 22 when he says that Jews were demanding signs. All right. This message also represented nonsense to the Greeks who tended to rely right on worldly wisdom. They also believed in powerful kings that ruled by force and not dying in humiliation. Also, the resurrection was a no-go for the Greeks. They just wasn't, they, that just, if you Greek and somebody talking about getting, getting up from the grave, that's just not going to fly. That's not going to fly to Greeks, okay? Also, in Greek culture, God could take on flesh. That was folly to Greeks, all right? Did, not could, God couldn't take on flesh. That was folly to Greeks. The recognition of Greek worldly wisdom rejecting the cross is what Paul has in mind in verse 22 when he says Greek seek wisdom. This is why he can say at the end of verse 23 that the message of, of the cross was folly for both Greek and Jews. Here it is in verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to, y'all say it the to is, say, let's try that again. It's right there. A stumbling block to Jews. and folly to there it is, y'all preaching with me, thank God. <laughs> y'all with me, y'all with me. All right. This message may be foolish according to religious wisdom and, fo- and foolish according to worldly wisdom. Yet for the people of God, this message showed the power of God to deliver his people and to conquer his enemies. Here it is in verse 18. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul also tells of the power of God and the in, In the message of the cross in verse 21, when he says, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. In order to save somebody, you got to have what? Come on, let's try. In order to save somebody, you got to have. There you go. Come on, talk about it. When he says the folly of cross is, then he also tells us of the power of cross in verse 24, when he says the folly of cross is true wisdom for the Greek, and its true power for the Jew. In other words, it is the true religious wisdom that Jews seek, and the message of the the cross is the true wisdom that Greeks seek. Here it is in verse 24, but to those who are called both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, saints, the message of Christ is one of power. My first pastorate was in, in Harambe here, in Harambe in Chicago. So, in, in, in Harambe, I, I see you represent, see the hoodie. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but in Harambe, what you would do is called tuck pointing. Tuck pointing is the removal of old mortar in between the bricks and replacing it with new mortar. Now, we have to use grinders. You can use another tool called a masonry rate, but any experienced carpenter pointer will tell you that's a bad idea and you will hate your life while doing it. Okay? So that grinder is one of the most important tools on the job site. So in Chicago, we were using that exact grinder, and what would happen is the grinders one day would just stop working. They would just not turn on. And you know, I'm like, Lord, we, we need these grinders because we only got two hours to work. But they wouldn't turn on. And so what would we do? What we would have to do, just like anything else, I don't know why humans, when electronic things break up, we start hitting it. That's what we did. We started banging on them grinders to get them, get them things to work. And so sometimes it would work, sometimes it, it didn't work. Now, this is embarrassing since I use grinders almost every day it wasn't until two or three years later that I figured out what the problem was. You see those little rectangular things right there? Those are called brushes. The brushes are about this small. (laughs) But without them, that grinder would not turn on, the job site would shut down. It was small and it looked insignificant, but if it shut down, the whole job site shut down. Brothers and sisters, in the same way, the message of the cross may seem powerless and insignificant, but that powerless message of the cross powers God's kingdom. Saints, let's preach the crucified Christ like Paul says in verse 23 when he says, we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified with our words end our action. Some of us have been through some things and have been asking God, what in the world is going on? You had some stuff happen to you in your life that looks like weakness and humiliation. I've been there. I got fired from my first official role as a pastor. I failed a few exams in the ordination process. Some of it was self-inflicted. Some of it was, some of it was others inflicted. Yeah, I ended up passing when I got back, back here. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, it wasn't because I was so smart, though I am smart. It wasn't so I was so gifted, because I am gifted, but it was because of the power of God in the midst of humiliation. It was the power of God that what looked like it should have took me out actually brought me up and brought me in. I'm talking about the power of humiliation of the cross. Another way to talk about it is look for ways. Look for your humiliation in the cross church. Maybe, it, maybe it's when we fight injustice with accountability and love that seeks to restore our former oppressors to right relationship with God, us, and humanity. That's taken on the cross because that means that your enemies don't get destroyed, but they get brought to the Father. That's taken on the cross Maybe we follow Christianity and reject the lie that it's the white man's religion. Racial empowerment and pride apart from the cross has not worked for us. That's why the black religious identity cults such as Nation of Islam, Islam itself, Hebrew, Israelites, 5%ers have a resurgent every few decades. I've been alive long enough to see every one of them. And then they die out because they lack what? The power of the cross. Maybe we should start applying Reformed Christianity to the African-American experience, rather than spending time trying to prove the, to the racist trolls, trying to prove the racist trolls wrong when we applying the gospel right to our people's experience. That's taking on the power of the cross because you're not buying down to the Caesars of our circles. Maybe we should, maybe it looks like foregoing the vacation, so we serve widows and orphans. Maybe we stay on track of our education even when no one in our friend, group, or family has been on the same road. Maybe we, we still keep ourselves open to learning, even though we've been in the re- reconciliation and justice things for over 20 years. Maybe we have the opportunity to crush our enemy at work, but instead we find a way to bless them. Maybe we buy that home in that disinvested neighborhood and have our homes be water. You know what that means? That means you owe more on your home than, than what your harm is wo- worth. That's taking on the humiliation of the cross so the kingdom of God may go forward. It looks like weakness to the rest of the world, but there's power in the humiliation. Maybe we take the chance and tell that person about Jesus, even though it could cost us the relationship. Maybe it's buying that new home when no one else in your family has done that before. Brothers and sisters, your cross and your humiliation is going to look different. Than, for any, than, than other peoples, if, if you come from a situation where you didn't go up with many, much resources, your cross is going to look different. Sometimes your cross is going to be finding the will to survive. If you come from a, place, a situation with resources, your cross is going to look like, how can I leverage these resources and humiliate myself by the world's standards to bring God's kingdom forward? Our crosses are going to look different in this thing depending on where God then brought you from. Amen, church? Yet, we can't live this way apart from the power of God. And the power of God works through weak things. The way of the, the, the... In the words of earth, wind, and fire. That's the way of the world, according to God. He has a pattern of using weak things to accomplish his purposes. If I could borrow some words from Drake, we have a God that uses the bottom to get us here. He used the bottom when he called Abraham out of his father's house, a protection to an inheritance to a land he didn't even know. He used the bottom when he met Abraham and Sarai, when when Abraham had to lie just to survive in Egypt. He used the bottom when he met Hagar by that well to tell her your little brown boy going to be a great nation when she was fleeing church hurt. He chose the bottom when he chose Jacob, Over Esau. He met Jacob at the bottom when he had to flee because he was being a low down dirty shame. He he met Joseph at the bottom when his own brothers threw him into the well. He met Joseph at the bottom when he was thrown in prison by a false accusation by his master's wife. He met Israel at the bottom after 400 years of slavery. He met Ruth and Naomi at the bottom when they were both helpless widows. He met David at the bottom when he was the last one chosen from amongst his brothers. He met Bathsheba at the bottom when she lost a baby and a husband, but she came, became the relative of the greatest king to come. He met Samson at the bottom when he was blinded and defeated. He met Jeremiah at the bottom when he threw him in a, when they threw him in a cistern. He met the three little Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace when they stepped into the furnace and it was all hot. But my Bible tells me that they stepped out because he met him in the bottom, and they didn't even smell like smoke. We serve a God that can meet you in the bottom. Now, consider Jesus. Come on. like I, I, Let me say it again. Consider Jesus, who he met at the bottom when they put nails in his hands, pierced his side, and he died. He remained at the bottom for three days. But what my Bible tells me is early. My tells says that early one Sunday morning. He got up and you know what he had in his hand? All power. The world's wisdom and religious wisdom is powerless. Give God praise for the power of the weakness of God in the cross. In the words of the apostle Paul, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I'm going to take my, my place in the Communion Circle New City, but I love you and may the Lord bless you real good. And I'm going to pray for us, and Pastor's going to lead us in communion. Thanks for listening, and God bless.